outside? Should I run and hide? How do I take my company worldwide? Do you love the law? Did you watch Hee Haw? What's the weirdest thing that you ever saw? What's it like in court? Favorite sport? Can you help with my book report? Is my hair too long? Am I right or wrong? And do you mind if I sing along to anything? Ask Alan anything in the world. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Ask Alan the Podcast. I'm Alan Crone, the CEO of the Crone Law Firm, and uh, we're here today with uh, uh, Clint Cummins, the uh, CEO of the Memphis Medical Society. Clint, thank you for joining the program. Thanks for having me, Alan. Well, I was looking over uh, the notes uh, for the show, and I couldn't help but notice uh, that your uh, professional life has been one of public service. Um, Tell us a little bit about your your background and how you you got into uh, uh, healthcare, public service. Sure. Um, so I grew up in a small town about two hours east of here called Savannah. That's uh, Pickwick to most Memphis natives. Um, Gorgeous. Tell, that's right. Um, Gorgeous. I often t- often tell the awful joke that uh, I probably punctured gas or bagged your groceries growing up. And then I came over here and moved to the big city um, in my adult life. But um, my wife and I have been uh, in Memphis for almost 20 years. And uh, when I first moved here, um, I started working for Ronald McDonald House in Memphis uh, in a fundraising position. And uh, that was a wonderful experience. Talk about uh, being able to be right there on site with families that are really going through it um, at St. Jude and being able to provide a home for them um, while they're undergoing those treatments was a very special experience. Um, uh, So I took that experience and uh, went on to the American Cancer Society again, focusing a lot on fundraising, Uh, was fortunate to um, have a lot of growth and promotion while I was there and ended up staying based in Memphis, but had uh, six states as part of my territory with the organization. Uh, but worked a lot with uh, companies on corporate philanthropy, um, helping their employees make some philanthropic contributions through payroll deductions and just working on a lot of large scale grants with, you know, small business owners, but all the way up until I worked on a grant for the Walmart Corporation as well while I was there. So a lot of um, exciting work to be able to give back in that fight against cancer. Um, And uh, those experiences really prepared me for the one I have today, which is uh, about to complete my seventh year as CEO of the Memphis Medical Society, which is an organization primarily uh, for physicians. Uh, it's a membership organization, just like a chamber of commerce or a bar association in your case. Um, uh, pretty much the same type of uh, professional organization, but along with that, we perform a lot of other um, acts, both, both for the medical community and the community um, at large. Sure. What... What in, about your um, upbringing or past uh, really prepared you and propelled you into um, development work, particularly uh, for these kind of healthcare nonprofits? You know, I, I was involved in a lot of organizations in high school and college, like a lot of people. And I think that's where you kind of start to hone what you decide that you want to do uh, with your life. But I, I take it a little bit further back than that. Uh, when you grow up in a community where I grew up, um, there's a lot of poor people in that community, just to be frank and honest about it. And 
Uh, I wouldn't describe my family experience as being poor, but we certainly um, uh, weren't wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. Sometimes we uh, hunted and fished because that was the cheapest way to eat. So um, I uh, have a lot of just empathy for uh, people who go through poverty and, and um, have to just basically hustle to get their way through life. And um, anybody listening to this is probably familiar with Memphis and, and Memphis is um, one of the poster children in our country for um, a community with people like that. And yeah, there's, there's poverty on one side of that um, equation, but on the other side is a bunch of strong and resilient people um, in our community. And so it's, it's rewarding to work whether it's a physician who's trying to help that community or um, you know, one of our programs is a charity care program where we help people who don't have insurance get access to healthcare. And when you're working with someone like that who uh, doesn't have a lot of means, but has a real um, grit and um, intensity about making themselves or someone in their family healthier, um, it's just a very rewarding experience. Sure, well, I, I, I applaud you uh, for that. And uh, I'm always um, I'm always humbled by people that um, have literally given their professional lives to uh, to making Memphis better or just making the lives of their fellow uh, human beings better. My, my hats off to you. Appreciate that. Uh, so let's talk about the Memphis Medical Society. I think that's um, one of those organizations that uh, uh, you know at least I've heard about, but I, I really uh, I don't know that much about it. Uh, tell me a, a little bit about you know, your day-to-day -day and the day-to-day -day for the Medical Society. Yeah, so um, as I mentioned before, it's an association of physicians. And I think you know your comment is really valid because it's I hear that a lot. I've heard of the organization. I assume it has some kind of medical uh, connection to it and maybe doctors are involved or maybe they're not, but people just don't know a lot of detail about what we do. And I think one of the reasons for that is um, when you're an association of physicians, they're taking care of patients all day. So um, the, the time that they have to engage on a podcast like this, for example, is, um, is not, you know, it's just not there during the day. And that's, that really is one of the things that we're prideful of in our organization is just the ability to be that connector of physicians and in some ways a mouthpiece for the physicians in the community. Uh, where that really starts uh, is through advocacy. So uh, we are essentially a local chapter of the Tennessee Medical Association at the statewide level, and their primary mission is advocacy, and we're essentially the local um, outreach of that. And so our physicians are tackling issues that, uh, one, impact the profession, obviously. It's a professional organization, uh, but inevitably that's going to have an impact on patient care uh, at the local and state level. So we're looking at issues like uh, one of the complex ones is prior authorization. The way that I would explain that to a lay person is every time you have to have a procedure and there's a delay because insurance has to approve it, you're in the middle of prior authorization. And so um, we want an environment where that's a little bit less burdensome for doctors. Everybody needs checks and balances. But, um, you know, if you're a physician and you've performed the same procedure dozens of times or prescribed the same medication dozens of times, having to check in with someone who doesn't have a medical license about that every time you do it can get redundant, time consuming, a little bit wasteful um, in the healthcare community. Uh, so advocacy is definitely a core part of our mission. Uh, the other part is 
really this charity care program that I mentioned. It's called Project Access West Tennessee. Um, it seeks to increase access to specialty care for people who don't have insurance. So if you don't have insurance, most people can access a federally qualified health center in our community. Uh, for Memphis, that's an organization like Christ Community Health Services, Church Health, uh, Tri-State is one, and there's a handful of others in the community. Uh, but once you need specialty care, things start to get complicated because they get more expensive and they get more time consuming. So our program seeks to engage physician volunteers in that care uh, and make those connections with the hospital, the provider, and the patient uh, to just make that experience as good as possible um, for everyone. The, the third component of our mission that I'll mention is uh, one thing that makes us very unique as a nonprofit is we own and operate a staffing agency. So uh, from a workforce development standpoint, we are right there um, in the healthcare community. I was on a call with our Chamber of Commerce the other day. Um, you know, workforce development, when you look at it at a local and particularly a national level, tends to be focused on manufacturing and logistics, and rightfully so. But uh, if you've read any article on healthcare lately, you're hearing the word shortage everywhere. Um, and I know other industries are experiencing that as well. But um, healthcare is so uh, technical and specialized. I think it's difficult to scale opportunities for healthcare workforce development. So uh, partly through our staffing agency, but really just being the Memphis Medical Society, we are starting to engage more on workforce development to help our members be able to recruit those specialized people all the way from a medical assistant all the way up to a physician uh, to be able to, to staff their clinics and their hospitals the way that they need to. I know uh, uh, about uh, the nursing shortage. What other, uh, what other uh, technical or professional uh, roles are you looking for that, that's in need in Memphis? Can I just answer yes? <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, well, uh, to be more specific and uh, a little more earnest, um, we, uh, a medical assistant that I mentioned, uh, anything involving radiology um, and x-ray technician is in a shortage right now. And depending on where you are and what specialty you're talking about, even physicians are in shortage um, in certain areas. Uh, I'll point out one specialty in specific, um, rheumatology. If you have arthritis and you need to see a rheumatologist in Memphis, Tennessee, even if you have insurance, plan on waiting six months to get an appointment. I mean, we wow, just, is that right? Yeah, I mean, we have a dramatic shortage there and, and some shortages in other specialties as well. Um, and, you know, you think about just those chronic health conditions that a lot of people have. Um, we're experiencing shortages um, in a lot of those areas. Um, of course, in rural parts of Tennessee, our charity care program does take us into the rest of West Tennessee beyond Memphis. You have a big shortage in just about every type of physician, be it primary care um, or any specialist. So um, we're working hard um, to make and to help our members make Memphis an attractive community to come work and practice medicine, um, whether, again, you're a medical assistant all the way up to the physician. Um, there's there's shortages everywhere. Um, you know, you, you may have spoken on other podcasts or your, your listeners may be aware of, you know, we have an issue with ER overutilization in our community. And some of that is due to, you know, health literacy is a part of that, but the outright shortage um, in providers and how long it takes to get an appointment is an issue there. So we're trying to do our part. Um, despite the fact that we're a small nonprofit organization, we're trying to do our part to to make a dent in that shortage. 
Well, uh, in your position, you're uniquely positioned to uh, kind of see this overall landscape. What do you think the long-term solution for this is? Where are the doctors of the future coming from? Well, they're coming from everywhere. We have a couple of medical schools um, in the queue in our state, one right here in Memphis um, through Baptist, which I believe starts in fall of 24. And then uh, Belmont over in Nashville is starting, I believe it's this fall as their um, incoming medical school class. So, you know, that's that's part of uh, the long term solution is to try to to attract uh, more healthcare providers um, to the state uh, and to the local area. You know, beyond that, um, you know, I hate to make everything about money, but we need we need investment. Um, and it's and it's not to say that investment is not occurring. It's just like everything else. We need we need more investment um, uh, to train those uh, people that we're talking about, whether it's a, a federal grant money from the state level. Um, we need to work hard to try to attract some of that funding um, here to Memphis. What are the the uh, educational requirements for uh, you know team level folks maybe that that aren't uh, you know that aren't uh, licensed physicians but you know um, doctors assistants uh, uh, physician uh, what is it PAs uh, those kinds of positions you know we hear a lot about other kind of technical uh, education. Uh, but you don't hear a lot about the about medical technical education. Uh, what are the opportunities around the area for for folks that would like to pursue that? Well, that, that's a great question, and it's a good reflection back to your previous question of what's the long term solution. And and I think you're hearing this in a lot of different industries. Uh, but you know, uh, physician assistants and nurses they're always going to require a higher level of training, just short. Um, of what the physician goes through. But those other positions within healthcare, whether you're talking about, um, again, the medical assistant, the uh, LPN, which is a licensed uh, practical nurse, um, slightly lower than an RN, the x-ray technologist that we mentioned earlier, um, those positions really, they don't require a bachelor's degree or anything like that. Um, They require a high level of um, technical training um, which I would say there's a shortage of um, in our community as well. Um, not only the institutions, but the people to give the training and instructions at those um, solution. Um, uh, again, something else that we're looking at to, to try to help with. Um, but you can come straight out of high school and, and work in a lot of those um, areas. Uh, I will say, um, University of Memphis, for example, is offering some um, minors that um, allow people to get their bachelor's degree, but to get one of those clinical skill sets, like a medical assistant, um, and I believe surgical technologist is another one um, that they're offering right now. So um, that those areas, um, you know, again, just like other industries, we need to fast track a lot of these people where possible. Um, and I'm not going to um, wax philosophical on the higher education debate with you today, but um, but there's certainly something there that needs to change in the model of how we recruit and train these um, individuals for these careers. Right, and you know, uh, I, I just don't think it's. I think the awareness is uh, of of these careers uh, is very low, and uh, hopefully uh, we can get that out because uh, there's been a lot of talk about 
you know, uh, HVAC and uh, air, air, airplane technicians and all of these these uh, these careers that are um, very lucrative, very necessary, and people just don't realize that that there's not as much of a educational ramp up for that as there would be the uh, to go get a post secondary uh, degree. Yeah, and I think you know educating people, uh, whether it's through the schools themselves, mentorship, or a combination of the two, is going to be real really vital um, long term because it's easy to look at. Um, uh, working for Amazon in a, in a warehouse versus working in a high stress medical environment and look at those two things and go, well, they pay roughly the same. So I'm just going to take the easier job. I, I can see a lot of people doing that. I think that's an issue in our industry. Um, and that is a super oversimplified way to look at that. So your point again is valid. Uh, we've got to do a better job as an industry of educating people early on about what it's like to work in healthcare, what the, what the values are about working in healthcare. Yeah. The pay may be the same, but you know, the experience is very rewarding working in healthcare and it's, it's needed and vital um, in our community. It's not going anywhere. Sure. Well, uh, in this day and age, you can't talk about, uh, about a work situation without talking about technology and I know that there have been increasing developments in, in, in your profession, just like in mine, where uh, people are getting medical advice, even medical treatment online. How has that affected uh, healthcare in Memphis? And do you think that, that that's part of the, the George Jetson uh, solution to, to healthcare? Um, I don't know about solution, um, but you, you look at, let's start with telehealth just in general, because everybody's comfortable with that now. There was an environment pre-COVID where providers and physicians in particular could kind of opt out of telehealth to some degree. You could still, you know, stand firm and say, uh, you know, I need you to come to the office and, you know, maybe a quick telephone consult here or there. But you know, COVID basically gave everyone no choice after that. So now, you know, every practice has online appointments. Uh, every practice has um, a telehealth option um, and, and probably even more bells and whistles uh, beyond that. Their electronic health records just continue to add interoperability to make that experience, um, you know, as digital as possible. Um, heard a presentation the other day um, from a local OBGYN group where they um, the entire check-in experience can be done uh, before you get to the parking lot or even while you're in the parking lot of the clinic. And once you walk in, um, you're ready to go. Um, so that certainly um, has put a twist on the industry. I, I think physicians, for the most part, with telehealth have figured out how to balance telehealth versus the in-person appointment and guiding patients on, you know, what the right decision is for them. I'm always going to be an advocate for the local relationship with a physician. Um, and, of course, I'm a little bit biased when I say that. I'm representing a bunch of um, local physicians from Memphis, but you know, when you try to look at it more broadly from a quality of care standpoint, it it really behooves you, especially as a young person, which is the time where you're not paying much attention to it. But, you know, I'm in my 40s. So in hindsight, 
you know, having that established relationship with a local provider early on is just very beneficial. Um, and so I encourage people to do that and, and balance it with telehealth. If you have the sniffles, use telehealth, but, you know, long-term, you still need that relationship with a, a local provider. Um, yeah, so the, the best advice I ever got from my dad, who's a pharmacist, he said, get an internist and every year get a, get a checkup, get a, a full-blown physical, uh, set a baseline. And I've done that. And, um, you know, I think I've, hopefully we've, we've caught some things and, uh, if I listened to my doctor better, I'd be in better shape, but that's a different, that's a topic for a different, uh, podcast. But, uh, I, you know, I think if you're listening to this and you're in your forties or fifties, if you take care of your body in your forties and fifties, it'll take care of you in your seventies and eighties. Yeah. hundred percent agree. And, um, yeah, I just can't advocate for that local provider relationship enough. Um, AI is a whole other territory uh, for medicine. Um, that one scares me a little bit. There's, we're still in the early stages of that, but you know, I'm sure everybody's you know seen what's capable out there with the, I think it's called Chat GPT, and mm -hmm. there's some other things out there, and and whether it's you know the the general technology, and I think more particularly um the companies behind it and and don't paint me as a conspiracy theorist here but um for those out there that are looking for a little bit deeper knowledge just follow the money um there is a lot of money to be made in this space and and just be careful with the decisions that you make um with that technology and don't just just bank on it um when large corporations and large corporations that own other sectors of healthcare start getting involved in patient care. It's all about scalability and making the most money that they can. Um, I'm a capitalist just like the next person, but when capitalism and healthcare get married, I, I take a very um, critical approach um, and a thoughtful approach before I start making decisions about my healthcare or about anything healthcare related, actually. So um, just just follow the money and, uh, and, and that'll help you make an informed decision about the organizations that you do business with in healthcare. Well, you know, the, uh, one of the interesting developments over the last few years, I represent a lot of doctors myself and more and more, uh, you, you're, we're losing these independent clinics, uh, and practices in favor of, uh, larger practices that are, you know, maybe wrapped up and owned by an insurance company or owned by a, um, a hospital or some other larger entity. Where do you see that? Is that trend going to continue? It's going to continue. I think one thing that makes Memphis unique is we do have that thriving independent community, uh, particularly on the specialty side. We still have that. Um, there are some laws in this state that I won't go into detail about that um, also support private practice. Um, to some degree, uh, but yeah, the, the national trend and even the local trend to some degree is continuing to veer more towards that. And um, again, this is a little bit in the minutia of healthcare, but um, hopefully it's relatable. Um, you know, if it's a group of local physicians getting together in order to scale their own business or take you, for example, if you took on a, another lawyer in your firm to help offset expenses. I mean, that, that's a common business practice 
And I don't think there's there's much reason to be too skeptical of something like that. Uh, but again, to your point, when it's larger industries, larger organizations um, coming in to um, to do that, and and they're they're in multiple pockets of the healthcare business. Um, I mean, I'm sure people have read that Amazon's getting in the healthcare space and. Uh, more power to them, but I, I can't help but be skeptical. I mean, the same place where I order my kids gummy bears, I can get health care. I, I just something doesn't uh, ring correctly um, for me about that. But the trend is going to continue. Um, and that's, you know, we have members of all shapes and sizes in our organization, everything from a solo practitioner all the way up to hospital based physicians and even physicians that work for insurance companies, pharmacy companies, etc. So you know, I, we, we try to serve all of them equally, but we end up giving a lot of support to the private practices in our community. Um, and beyond that, tend to be pretty outpatient focused. But, um, you know, where those private practices can, we're trying to work with them to scale some of those opportunities where you're mentioning where, you know, we're not going to help them start a venture capital company or anything like that. But help them start an organization or start a, um, a movement that can help them save uh, costs on their business expenses and things like that. We're certainly looking at that every day for our members. Well, Clint, what um, I know that, that, that the society has relationships with a number of uh, affiliates. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the work you're doing through those other organizations? Yeah. Um, just like, a lot of other dynamics in our state. Memphis is very Memphis, right? Things are different in West Tennessee. And, and sometimes Memphis folks don't want to travel all the way to Nashville to do X. So we end up responding to that need on the healthcare side and essentially acting as a convener for a lot of different healthcare professions uh, here in Memphis. A uh, couple of those groups, uh, one is called uh, MGMA, and forgive me for the acronym, but it's Medical Group Managers Association, the folks that are running the medical clinics, so the, the non-physician administrators that are running those medical clinics, uh, we assemble them. And again, to your earlier point about the things that are happening and trending in healthcare, you know, the administrator uh, is becoming a more prevalent person um, in the healthcare dynamic. And so... Uh, we've got to make sure that um, we're supporting that community. Um, we support a similar organization um, for hospital executives. Uh, so folks that are running the hospitals um, who are not uh, physicians, uh, we help run their local organization. And then there are a couple of other smaller societies of um, physicians like pediatricians um, and a couple of others where we essentially run their operation for them as a service. They don't necessarily have um, any paid employees, but we run that for them. And that's all in the spirit of creating this um, community in Memphis, call it Switzerland if you want, or call it uh, whatever you want, that is trying to bring folks together as much as they can, because otherwise, um, this is a very fractured healthcare environment. And, and I don't mean that disparagingly. Um, competition can be healthy um, in healthcare, but generally speaking, we're quite fractured. Three mature hospital corporations, actually four, um, uh, not including the St. Jude and the VA and uh, probably um, another organization or two that I'm missing. And then when you lump all the private practices into that, I mean, it, it's hard to, to coordinate and collaborate, whether it's for educational purposes, business purposes, or, or anything else. So 
that's what we're trying to do is is create those opportunities where people can convene um, and talk about the issues that they need to talk about. We've been doing that for our entire history. Um, my favorite success story about that is um, there's a group that we really just um, help from a organizational standpoint. We don't even really uh, provide them any staff. They're just essentially a committee of our organization called the EMS Council. And so once every quarter, you have representatives from every hospital system in our community, the city and county EMS departments, uh, and even some across uh, the river in Arkansas uh, and down in Mississippi, all collaborating in the spirit of um, uh, improving the emergency medical community. So whether that's once you get to the ER or once the 911 call is made and everything in between and watching those groups of people, multiple different healthcare disciplines, you've got physicians on the call, you've got ER uh, directors on the call, you have EMTs on the call, um, and you have city government employees on the call and just watching them all collaborate and work through a lot of those issues is just, is just wonderful to watch. And that was started by our organization 30 years ago in our conference room. And then they started running themselves and outgrew our conference room. So uh, it's just a, a wonderful um, organization um, and, and another example of how we just try to convene people. Well, I think that um, uh, there's their physicians and lawyers and there's kind of drop off after that of, of professionals that have disregarded uh, business practices. I mean, for a long time, doctors and lawyers were able to, you know, the, the situation was so lucrative, let's just be honest, that you could you could be very inefficient and, and still do very well. And now everything is getting chopped up. And I'm, uh, I think it, kudos to your group for helping lead the business side of the profession. I, I always, I get into some arguments with with uh, lawyer friends of mine, they said, well, you know, we're a profession. I said, yeah, yeah, but you, you, you still have to run your profession like a business. Um, it's not an industry, it's a profession. And the, the difference, and I always bring it back, you know, we, wrote, we raised our right hand and, and professed an oath, which is different than, you know, someone selling widgets. They don't profess an oath to, to do anything. And uh, I think it's important as we develop the business side of these professions, that we remember that those oaths, um, because they it it should be different than than being in business in an industry that's sole um, aim is to make money. Well, that's that's one hundred percent on point, and you're shining a light on one of the other issues that we work through. But just another issue in the profession is when you go to medical school, they're teaching you how to be a doctor, not a business person. Um, and so to that point, we have a program called Money in Medicine. And we, you know, one of our taglines for that program, um, you touched on it, is we're here to teach you the things you didn't learn in medical school. And, you know, there are, you know, not every physician is going to come out of training and run his or her own practice today. That's just the reality that we live in. Um, again, to your earlier point about where the industry and the profession is going. Uh, but there's some baseline knowledge that, uh, people need when they come out of medical school that is just not covered. Um, it's not covered in school. It's not covered during residency. Uh, there's some baseline stuff that everybody needs. 
And there's even some stuff on an individual level. We've done um, uh, presentations on contracting for our members. We've done presentations on estate planning for some of our older members. And there's just a lot of those fundamental skills that um, just aren't covered because it's such a scientific and, and medically focused profession. Uh, and they're, you know, just like everybody else, they're trying to jam as much as they can into that training program and, and get them out and get them ready to take care uh, of a community that is unhealthy and uh, participate in an industry that is short staffed. So yeah. um, it's, it's just, uh, it's a complex dynamic to observe and talk about um, and, and it's all just sort of crunched together. And, uh, but there's, there's definitely still some positives about it. And, um, and, you know, I've yet to speak to a physician that regrets their choice about going into medicine. Um, and, and that's, you know, one of the great things about working here, uh, is watching that, that empathy get expressed outside the clinic and hearing someone say, I want to participate in your project access program because I want to help people that don't have insurance or, or I'll get on the bus with you and go to Nashville with 50 other doctors and meet with every local legislator um, in our community and advocate for better patient care um, and better professional um, standards for our organization. So it's, it's wonderful to work with those people every day. Well, Clint, I sure have enjoyed our, our talk. Uh, it's been fascinating. Thank you for your insights into the present and future of medicine in our community. And thank you for all you do for our community. And I want to thank everybody for watching or listening. If you've enjoyed it, please uh, give us a five-star rating. Share this with anyone who you think might be interested in it. And please encourage a young person you may know to consider medicine as, uh, as their vocation in life. Uh, I think Clint would agree that uh, if they have the aptitude for it and the heart for it, that they will uh, they will enjoy that choice uh, long term. Clint, again, thank you so much. Uh, this is Alan Crone uh, and uh, Clint Cummins. Clint is going to go um, spread the word about medicine in Memphis, and I'm going to go get some justice. Thank you all very much. <laughs>